Hi, this is the Organisational Success Academy from the Oxford Review, bringing you the very latest research in leadership, management, organisational development, design, transformation and change, human resources and human capital, organisational learning, coaching and work psychology from around the world to make you the most up-to-date and knowledgeable person in the room. Hello and welcome back to the podcast. Um, I'm David Wilkinson, the editor of the Oxford Review, and today we have Christian. Do you want to just pronounce your surname? Yes, it's a Spanish surname rather long. Uh, Criado Perez, I guess would be the English way of pronouncing it. Brilliant. Criado Perez. Right, brilliant. Thanks, Christian. Um, so what we're going, um, Christian's um, uh, t- together with some um, colleagues from um, New South Wales University have uh, published a paper called Enablers of Evidence-Based Management, Clues from Absorptive Capacity Literature, um, which I found particularly interesting because uh, I've got quite a big interest in learning, but also absorptive capacity. So welcome. Uh, Christian, um, and I just wondered if you could just kind of kick us off by telling us a little bit about yourself, kind of your background, your research history and interests, and we'll take it from there. Sure. Um, so uh, I began my career in the aerospace, in, uh, aerospace industry as an engineer, and I worked in manufacturing and project management for several years. And during that time, uh, I studied an MBA, which gave me my first exposure to things like journal articles, uh, case studies, uh, well, scientific research in general. And it was eye-opening for me really um, to realize how much scientific research could actually help us understand management problems, um, but also the lack of awareness uh, and lack of adoption of, of this, these practices. Uh, it, it was as if all the scientific research just did not exist in my work environment. Um, And at the time, I bumped into the Center for Evidence-Based Management, called SEVMA, Mm -hmm. and the concept itself of evidence-based practice. And uh, I I just thought, you know, I want to make this happen around me. How come come we're okay with this not being the norm? Uh, I also suddenly realized, you know, am I just blindly following management fads too? Yeah. Uh, so since then, uh, um, I quit my job, uh, went back to studying to pursue my PhD here at UNSW, and I've been doing research on evidence-based management and decision-making in general for the past four to five years. Okay. And what was your PhD on? So uh, it's, it's uh, in the School of Management, uh, focusing on the enablers and barriers of evidence-based management. Okay. Right. Cool. Brilliant. Um, okay, so enablers of evidence-based management. Can we just kind of what are we talking about here when we're talking about evidence-based management, and and why did it kind of grab you? Um, well, as I said, uh, it was um, surprising to me how all of these all of this knowledge from scientific research ha- had been around for ages and although it was rather old stuff the the thing the content i was learning in my mba um the managers around me were completely unaware of of this body of knowledge um and so when i started looking into the i started looking into the concept of evidence-based management and and perhaps i'll give a general definition of what i mean by that so 
evidence-based management is a framework really uh, for making decisions um, and it focuses on relying on the best available evidence from multiple sources so as such it, it emphasizes firstly the need to focus on the quality of the evidence that you're relying on um, but also to collect evidence from multiple sources and it lists four sources as, as key sources you can rely on one being the the expertise uh, of the decision makers themselves um, also organizational data that might be relevant um, or then the concerns of the stakeholders involved and lastly the the, the body of, of scientific research that might be relevant mm. um, and evidence-based management will propose us to rely on those four sources and follow six uh, steps that lead to increasing the likelihood of the desired outcome. Uh, those six steps being, well, first uh, identifying the problem um, and translating it into an answerable question. So in a way like setting up your hypotheses. Um, then also acquiring the evidence, um, praising the quality of that evidence uh, to later aggregate it properly and apply it to your decision. Um, and finally, assessing the outcomes to learn from the application of that evidence um, and to inform future decisions. So that's what we, that whole framework is what we're referring to when we talk about evidence-based management. Yeah, yeah. and it, I, I, I'm like you, I kind of find it incredible that there's this massive body of evidence um, that the vast majority of practitioners A don't know about and uh, B don't have access to um, and, and just generally tends not to get used at all within kind of decision making not only within management but anything to do with kind of organizations um which is one of the reasons why we're here i suppose um so your your paper what was what i found interesting and when i first kind of scanned it right at the beginning i went oh absorptive capacity it's kind of interesting putting those two things together so do you just want to explain a little bit about absorptive capacity um for the listeners what it is and why it's important sure so um yeah absorptive capacity is it refers to the ability uh to identify valuable knowledge from your external environment um but also to for a firm to assimilate it and exploit that knowledge um so different researchers have separated uh, absorptive capacity into different dimensions in a number of ways, but the overall idea is that absorptive capacity allows firms to learn, uh, innovate, and as a result, increase firms' performance. Um, and well, I mean, it's it's obvious, beside the obvious fact that it's important for an organization to to be able to learn from ex external environment, we we do have recent uh, meta-analyses that, that provide supporting evidence that it is uh, absorptive capacity does lead to both uh, higher levels of innovation and from performance. Yes, yeah, and that we can start to look at organizations and see whether they're, they've got higher levels of absorptive capacity or lower levels of absorptive capacity um, in terms of their ability to be able to, I suppose, learn generally. Um, and use um, materials, particularly from the outside, as you were saying, um, and, and learning from outside. Um, I, and and that, that, it, it, that one of the things that intrigues me, and I don't know, and, and this is kind of uh, like, it's not part of the, the, the interview that I've asked you, but it was something that I was thinking about a little bit earlier on, um, because we're describing it as a capacity. 
So it's mm -hmm. that capacity to be able to learn. And, and how do we go about evaluating an organization's capacity to learn? So what, what are the kind of factors that might be involved in that? Yeah, so I guess it's, uh, you've got different research have measured that in a whole range of ways. Um, and also depending on the ways in which they define each of those dimensions. Uh, but for example, um, there are extremes that, uh, so to give you an example that I, I, I don't uh, personally think are as good is, for example, looking at how much a firm is investing in R&D. Uh, and some papers have used that as a proxy of absorptive capacity. I don't think that's a very, it's an, I don't think it's an ideal measure of absorptive capacity. Um, uh, and then you also have many, many, a lot of research pretty much uh, just surveying uh, the senior management of the team to try to capture uh, to what degree they, 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 they look outside their firm, their firm for uh, innovation and for new ideas. Um, and also look into the, the process with which they uh, try to assimilate that knowledge and dissemi disseminate it throughout the organization to, to be able to use it um, and come up with, with innovative solutions. Um, so I guess there, there, there are a lot of things that can get into the way of that, right? Uh, I mean, firstly, like we were discussing before, um, very often managers are... Uh, looking at their immediate environment, but not necessarily outside their organizations. Um, we're also not necessarily good at evaluating the value of new knowledge and the quality of the evidence that we are exposed to. Um, and even if we do, uh, of course, bringing this new knowledge into a large organization um, and integrating it within the, the products and the processes of that organization is not an easy task. Yeah. Uh, you're, you're surely going to face a lot of resistance in many, in many occasions, right? Yeah, and there are a lot of barriers in organizations to that kind of thing, particularly kind of department silos and things like that, culture, um, whether there's a learning culture or a knowing culture, all those kinds of things as well. So um, do, do you just want to kind of um, talk us through the, the, the paper a little bit in terms of what you found um, from your, your meta-analysis? Sure. Um, so we pretty much um, look at all, um, we, we looked for empirical research that had examined what might be a predictor or an antecedent of absorptive capacity. Um, and we found, uh, to summarize, perhaps I can highlight three key factors that we found that were associated with absorptive capacity at the firm level and three key, fact key factors at the individual level. So at the firm level, uh, our meta-analyses found that the strongest factor that was associated with it was information systems uh, capabilities. Um, so that is the, the capability of a firm uh, to collect more of the information system, to collect and store data, making it easily accessible across the organization was a key, a key factor. And I think that also explains why firms are investing very, very heavily in, in, in IT. Um, we also found the transformational leadership was um, particularly important also and a degree of slack resources um, so what I mean by that is they, we need, they need to create a working environment that encourages employees to question their assumptions that fosters inquiry and exploration uh, 
but also to have the time and the resources to do so, right? And then thirdly, um, there are a whole range of constructs surrounding um, the idea of collaboration that were key for absorptive capacity. Collaboration across functions within the company, uh, but also with stakeholders beyond the organization. Um, so it, that reflects the importance of what you were mentioning of breaking down those silos within the organization, but also to interact with clients, uh, customers, and maybe even competitors. Right? Then at the individual level, um, we found that managers had to have the ability, the motivation, and the opportunity to learn from external environment. And by that, I mean, well, firstly, they had to have a certain level of expertise in the domain. Um, and this is necessary to understand and appreciate the value of that knowledge. Yeah. Um, a motivation to engage in learning tasks. So like you were saying, yeah, the, the motivation to learn. So um, can be through learning goals. Um, and lastly, that to have employees that are empowered to actually do so, to go out and, and seek for, for new solutions, right? Which is not always the case. No, lots of organizations are very inward looking and uh, really don't encourage people, A, to go out and have a look at other things outside or bring them in. Um, and that's, they, they kind of compartmentalize the knowledge in as much as, you know, IT knowledge depends, you know, goes to the IT department and management knowledge and don't interfere in those and don't start bringing in new ideas about something that's not your area. Um, so we see that a lot in organizations, which is one of the huge barrier to, to organizational learning. Yeah, interesting. Right. Um, can I, I, I'm just going to kind of, you, you published um, a, another paper um, a little bit earlier, um, Beyond an Informed Opinion, Evidence-Based uh, Practice in the Built Environment. Um, what I'm interested in here is, and, and this kind of connects to the, the learning thing, is um, can you just explain a little bit about what you mean by Beyond an Informed Opinion? Yeah, so um, that title was inspired from the conversations that I had with um, senior managers in the built environment from another research, well, from that, from the, that, that paper. Uh, and when, when I was asking them about their levels of evidence-based management adoption, they often looked surprised by the question and, and answered things like, well, of course our decisions are evidence-based. You know, how could they not be? Um, but by looking a little closer and asking a few more questions, it, was, it became very clear that they, they had a different definition in mind when we were talking about evidence-based management. So they were often referring to um, the use of their judgment and expertise, which was informed, of course, by their experience. Mm. Um, and uh, very often feedback that they were getting from previous projects or previous uh, clients. The problem was that they were often relying on anecdotal feedback, uh, on very low quality evidence, and they were often ignoring evidence from a wide number of key sources that they could have used. Mm. So it's one thing to have an opinion based on personal experience or you know, based on your team of experts, which is valuable. But if you don't go beyond that, you're turning a blind eye to a lot of potentially strong and relevant evidence. Yes. Yeah. So that's, what, I guess, the, the difference that we were um, trying to imply through that type. Yeah, that's interesting. And, and certainly this, 
so, so one of the concepts that we talk about in um, psychology is this idea of cognitive tunneling and, and, and that, that the lack of capacity at times, and this tends to happen particularly when we're stressed, um, but some people seem to make more of a habit of it, I suppose, um, of, of not being able to notice and take in peripheral information and, mm. and, and, and deal with things that are kind of outside, which is what we're talking about with absorptive capacity, I suppose, is, is that capacity to learn is more than just the process of learning. It also includes that process of being open to new information from disparate sources and, and, and information that comes at us in disparate ways, um, you know, I suppose in, dis in different types of formats. Um, and and, and that, that idea of absorptive capacity involves that, that, uh, that wider ability to be able to see things that are on the periphery, that aren't part of the core, but actually inform it, um, or are a different mode of knowledge, a different mode of information, like research information. So, and, uh, and we, we see in organizations, quite a lot of people, it's like, it's, it's almost too difficult um, and I don't think academics make it any easier because of the way that we write and things like that, you know, we make it more opaque than anything else for practitioners. Um, but that, it, 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 I think it's becoming the whole idea of absorptive capacities kind of getting to a, a, a kind of a critical point for organizations, particularly as we're kind of moving more and more into um, industry 4.0 um, and people are having to work with um, well, uh, robots, and, but, but, uh, but with systems that can actually provide a wide range of information. And quite often we're limited by our own capacity to both see it and think about it. So it's not just having the information, it's those, those kind of thinking skills, the critical thinking skills that, that come into being as well. I don't, know, I, I don't know what your thoughts are about that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, there, there's definitely, uh, a number of abilities, uh, skills required to 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 be able to foster uh, absorptive capacity or to engage in evidence-based management. Uh, and for example, one of them, um, which you briefly touched on, was uh, I mean, if you're going to be drawing from multiple sources, um, you're going to find contradictory evidence, and um, it's it's you're going to increase the complexity in a way because you're going to have to deal with a very different kind of evidence that may be pulling into different directions. And, and um, I can understand some managers um, being averse to that idea and being scared of just making the, their problems even bigger. Um, but uh, it's not necessarily about, um, you know, being paralyzed until you find that certainty, uh, because there probably isn't 100% uh, certainty. Uh, it's it's simply about being a little more informed, right, and uh, seeing a little more the the, the bigger picture. Yeah, so, but, so you've uh, got better evidence for making decisions, and that the decisions are becoming increasingly better. Exactly, exactly, and 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 we have plenty of evidence showing that um, you know uh, that, that that this leads to 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 better outcomes. Um, and regarding that tunnel vision that you were saying, in fact, that that's one area that I'm really interested in and, and I have some ongoing work uh, on it, which is looking at the influence of emotions too. Um, 
So if you have employees that are, you know, under, under a lot of stress, um, that's uh, definitely going to influence the, the way they, they the, deg the degree to which they engage in evidence-based management, for instance. Yes, definitely. Yes. Yeah, there's quite, there's quite a bit of evidence around that, and, and particularly around um, cognitive tunneling and emotion. Um, there's been quite a lot of work done on, on those, those, those kinds of areas. And, and also that the capacity for dealing with paradoxes. Um, there was a lovely study done about two or three years ago on the, actually it might have been longer than that time, huh? um, that was done on the Finnish police. Um, looking at, so after 2008, like many countries, Finland ended up um, with austerity. And um, what occurred was, and again, this is, it was a common thing that happened as a result, was that policy decisions were made at governmental level that actually set up a series of paradoxes without anybody realizing. So they, would, they said, right, okay, the Finnish police, you're a whole group of different police forces, you've all got different uniforms, you've all got different processes and standards whilst it's the same law, each force is operating individually. So we want you to combine all that, have the same uniform, have the same policies and procedures, have the same standards. Well, that's all right until you start realizing that policing in Helsinki is very different to policing in the Arctic Circle, you know, where there are more reindeer than human beings. And so it's, you know, having the same uniform actually doesn't start to make sense. What was interesting was how the police dealt with the, the issue. Firstly, the research discovered that they didn't recognize the paradoxes. There was nobody in the, in the whole system said, ah, we've set up a paradox here. So that limits your capacity for being able to actually deal with it. And then what they found was that the police forces tended to go from one side of the paradox to the other, right to the extremes. So they'd set up a, a collective process, and then what they'd do is they'd say, oh, hang on a minute, we need little additions to this. And then they'd go back to, so there was nobody managing that process in terms of decision-making of going, whoa, hang on a minute. So it's like this lack of metacognition, if you want, and an overview of the whole kind of decision-making process, which I found interesting. Um, and that, that comes back to this cognitive tunneling is it, what it was doing was it was pushing people in one direction or the other to the extremes without the whole process being managed. And um, Yeah, and I, I think, I mean, I, I've definitely seen that in my personal work experience, but I'm sure a lot of people have gone through the same thing that we, um, there's this new, uh, you know, you're presented with this, this new approach uh, or methodology for me it was the lean manufacturing in the assembly line um, but there are many many others and you I mean typically we don't stop and question it enough right um, it's more like okay let's adopt it and go with it um, it's more about the efficiency of the implementation rather than actually questioning the assumptions of uh, that that system is going to work Yes, yeah, and it, it's it's that kind of thinking of being able to get on top of it and, and get an overview of, of what we're doing, you know, at least having somebody who's doing that. Yeah, interesting. So, um, okay, Christian, so if you were to pull out the main takeaways from your study for practitioners, um, what would they be? Um, so are we talking about the meta-analysis and absorptive Yes, capacity? sorry, yes, or, yeah, the meta-analysis. No, sure, <laughs> yeah. that's fine. Um, well, um, well, as I listed before, I mean, there were a whole range of, of factors associated with it. Um, 
Now, as a cautionary note, this was, we found that most of the uh, empirical studies that we identified and we were drawing from, uh, evidence from, were, were correlational, were cross-sectional, sorry. Um, now, that said, uh, knowing that there are these factors, both at a firm at an individual level that are associated with a sorts of capacity, uh, there are a whole range of, of, um, of things that managers can do, and depending on their level of seniority and, and place in the organization, right? So in the paper, uh, we provide a, a checklist um, with different things that they can do. But for instance, uh, you know, we, we would encourage um, managers to, again, make sure that they're, they have good information system capabilities, uh, that they're fostering that culture of, of uh, questioning and, 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 and uh, inquiry among their employees. Um, that they're doing all the efforts they can to break down those silos, whether it's in through multidisciplinary projects um, or other ways in which you increase collaboration between different um, departments. Um, and then keeping an eye at the individual level, we're keeping, you know, valuing the ability of employees to um, be able to engage with, with this kind of task, right? Of, uh, of well having the expertise to be able to identify valuable knowledge, but also that making sure that they have the the uh, the motivation and the, the the opportunity to do so, the time to do so. Um, and and one thing that is really going to influence all of that very heavily, and this we found in the meta analysis, but also in the in the other study you mentioned um, that we published before, was the the strong influence of social norms. Um, if an employee doesn't perceive that the organization is encouraging and supporting them to go out of their way um, to make sure they're relying on the best available evidence to actually question the way things are done, um, they're not gonna do it, right? Why would they run the risk? They're just gonna go with what is commonly accepted in, a, in their firm. So the, the, those social norms are, are really, really important. Um, to make sure that the employee perceives that that is supported. And this aligns a lot with, with research that we had from evidence-based medicine, where um, nurses and doctors were talking about uh, the importance of, of what's called psychological safety um, within their, their teams to be able to, to do that, to question assumptions, to say, hey, uh, you know, there might be a better way, despite the fact that we've been doing this like this for the past 10 years. Yes, yeah. And, and having a, I suppose, thinking about as a manager developing a, a a learning and innovation culture i suppose or an orientation towards those things one of the things that i have seen um in, in fact it was a, a company in the middle east um where the manager every month um, when they were having their um it's a it's a kind of a global virtual team um and he had this section in in his meetings about what they'd seen from outside that would be useful inside which was really cool, actually, because every, because he set it up as part of the meeting, and it became an expectation that you would find something and say, "Actually, they're doing this. Maybe you know, maybe it would be a good idea. Maybe we can test it here." And um, and I thought that was a like a, a really positive step forward. Um, and even if they didn't, you know, he would give them license to give it a go, and say, "Well, let's have a go at it. Let's see what happens." And, um, and I, that, that was making a huge headway, actually, in that group. Massive. 
yeah, that, that, that seems like an excellent routine to put in place, to yeah. nudge people, to, to look beyond the organization. Yeah. Um, and uh, one challenge we, I, I hadn't mentioned that I also think is, is, is stopping evidence-based management from happening too, is that um, employees and managers don't necessarily have the skills to evaluate the quality mm. of the evidence they're seeing, right? Um, so I think, uh, I think they, 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 under, they appreciate, and actually from surveys that we have done, we, we have evidence to show that supporting that they, they appreciate the value of um, consulting with evidence beyond the organization. Um, but if you give them uh, scientific research from, from uh, academic uh, journals, well, uh, like you said, it's not like we write them in a way that's easy for them to digest. Right? Yeah. Um, what, where I think uh, it might, it's going to be a little easier potentially is with um, you know, the, the, all the data that we are getting from um, the advances in technology. So uh, an AI and big data and so forth, the organizations are going to be able to tap into a lot more relevant uh, uh, evidence and uh, from, from within the organization, but also to, to understand uh, their customers much better. Yeah. Um, all of these are, are, you know, pieces of information that, that can be really, really helpful for managers. Yes, and turning to aggregators and things like that so that, you know, there are people who kind of sit in that space of um, both translating the research but can also help with understanding what the quality of the research is um, and, and how applicable it is in this set of circumstances. Um, and it's, it's that, that, that I suppose, you know, we would term in academia, you know, from our point of view, that's what critical thinking is part of, that's part of the critical thinking process, is being able to weigh up the evidence and, and yeah. work out, A, how relevant it is to this particular situation, how, you know, how valid and reliable it is, but then we start using those kinds of terms. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, anybody who's not an academic starts to glaze over, it's like, what? Um, so, it, and it is having those translators and I've, I've seen one or two organizations have started to employ scientists to do just that. They sit in their kind of knowledge processes. Their job is to go and find stuff that's relevant to the organization and turn it into a form that is actually, I suppose, <laughs> absorbable, if that's such a word. That, that can be readily absorbed within the organization that in a way that people can actually understand it. Because one of the things that's, that's come out of a whole load of previous research about different sectors is that they've got different ways of thinking and those different ways of thinking about things and seeing things, perceiving things from a, you know, so engineers see things in a very different way to psychologists do, to um, medics do, for example. Um, and, that this, there's some evidence that whilst cognitively they're not learning in a different way, they are learning in a different way through kind of language and what they're looking for. And it's making that kind of translation piece that I think is important to kind of, I suppose, increase the absorptive capacity within organizations, but also get people to engage with those four areas of evidence-based practice a bit more so it's a little bit more balanced um rather than it being as you were saying anecdotal this has been really yeah. interesting actually <laughs> yeah yeah but I, I agree with uh, i also see that trend uh, of um companies uh, hiring people to help them digest that mm. 
that uh, that body of, of knowledge. I've seen it in the built environment and and uh, also particularly tech companies. I think are good at uh, you know. I think more and more of them seem to be uh, building their own research teams within the organization to to even do their own research in a more scientific way. Um, so so yeah, I think there's quite a bit of, of progress. Uh, I still think we have a long way to go. Uh, Evidence-based management is uh, definitely not the norm. Um, it is uh, lacking uh, in most organizations, but um, but yeah, there there is some some progress definitely. Yeah, brilliant. Thank you, Christian. I, I really appreciate it, and I appreciate your time as well. Um, can I just ask, you know, how can our members, how can people contact you if they want to do so? You know, can I, if you've got a website, profile pages, and things like that, and then what we'll do is we'll link to them. Yeah, sure. So, um, I mean, I have a profile website uh, uh, at the UNSW Business School uh, website, but of course, they could contact me through um, my email. Um, which is uh, listed in that paper from the yep. Australian Journal of Management. Uh, so my UNSW email, which is publicly available. Yep. Uh, and of course, through uh, you know, all the social networks that we use, uh, LinkedIn, ResearchGate, Academia, and so forth. So Brilliant. I'd be happy to, to discuss. Fantastic. Yeah, I'll put those on the, on the show notes and I'll send you a link as well. It's been fascinating. Thank you very much, Christian. I really appreciate it and I appreciate your time. Sure, thanks. Thanks for having me. Great. Thank you for listening to the Oxford Review podcast. For free research briefings, audio and video research briefings, research infographics and a whole lot more, visit oxford-review.com. That's oxford-review.com. And please subscribe, rate and review this podcast. It would mean a lot to us to have your feedback so that we can make this podcast even better for you. <laughs>